welcome to our show, The Islamic Dilemma. I am your host, Al Fadi, and today we are going to be talking about the collection of the Quran as a book. All of my life as a Muslim, I always believed that the Quran in our hand today was the very same Quran and the original Quran that was basically revealed to the Prophet of Islam and was given to us also by the Prophet of Islam. However, there is always uh, stories about its collection that uh, at sometimes didn't make any sense. Uh, it has some tension and contradictions in it, and also it has some puzzling uh, questions about it. For instance, uh, we know that uh, the one of the people who collected the Quran actually ended up burning all of the other existing copies. With me today to uh, continue our discussion on this very interesting topic, my special guest, Bill Warner. Bill, it's good to have you again. As always, as always. Bill, tell me about your understanding about how the Quran uh, came about as a book when you were doing your research. Well, the first thing was I was heartened to find out that there was some story or process behind it because when I first started studying the Quran, what I believed was that when Muhammad died, he left behind the Quran. I mean, that was what I thought. Uh, but then, as you start digging into it, you discover when Muhammad died, there really was no such thing as a Quran that you could pick up and put in your hand. As a matter of fact, I like to add to what you were saying um, that when Muhammad died, uh, there has been a discovery of fragments of the Quran that were written on pieces of bones, mm -hmm. leather, papyrus, but the majority of it was actually saved in memory. In mm -hmm. fact, historically, we do not have any evidence that the Quran was actually written in the Meccan era. In fact, there was only one scribe that we know of, who his name is Abdullah ibn Abi Sarh. He has a problem with Muhammad. A couple of times, Muhammad will read a verse to him, uh, yes. and he will finish the verse, and Muhammad will say, oh, yeah, it was revealed this way. So he tested Muhammad a second time and did the same thing. Muhammad said something, he changed the wording, and Muhammad says, yeah, and it was revealed this way. So he felt that Muhammad is just not a serious prophet. If he himself can tell Muhammad what the Quran should be written, uh, how it should be written, and what word should be used, he claimed to be a prophet just like Muhammad. In fact, Muhammad threatened his life later mm -hmm. when he opened, uh, uh, basically invaded Mecca, and uh, Uthman uh, basically intervened on his behalf. But this is kind of an interesting that if we do not have a written record of the Quran in Mecca, and I want to tell people that Muhammad's invested about 13 years of his life in right. Mecca, we have the majority of the Quran size-wise revealed in Mecca to the tone of about 74% of the Quran itself. So if you have that much retained in memory, human memory, might I add, and then the rest of it was about 25 to 26%, that was at least, we know that was written, possibly all of it, maybe some of it, in Medina when Muhammad immigrated. What does that tell you about the Quran then? Well, one of the things it told me was, this is difficult to believe that everybody remembered it so perfectly, but then a lot of the apologists for the Quran go, oh, the memory of these Arabs was beyond belief. They could retain all of this in a flawless manner. And I'm thinking, particularly when I was reading this, I'd been teaching in a university and I had many Arab students. And the Arab students that I had were not displaying any of this magnificent memory that the Arab is supposed to have. So immediately you're like, 
I don't know here. You've got this many people remembering things. There's going to be variations. Well, Bill, um, if we are to take this argument at face value mm -hmm. and say that preserving the Quran in memory was such a big deal because the Arabs at the time of Muhammad had this wonderful memory that right. can retain things, how about if we look at the very person who revealed the Quran, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, Muhammad, the prophet, who supposedly should be the role model for the everybody else. Let's take a look at one of the verses in the Quran, which we will be showing on the screen right now. It's found in chapter 2, verse 106. This is what the verse reads. Whatever communications, and the communication here is talking about verses, revelations of right. the Quran. So we can say whatever revelations of the Quran, we abrogate or we cancel or cause it to be forgotten, we bring one better than it or like it. Do you know the story behind this verse, Bill? As I recall, Muhammad was reciting Quran, and there he omitted a verse, and one of his own, shall we say, students, I think, prompted him about something. Do I remember this Well, right? that's one of the stories, because you always get multiple versions of oh, the story. So okay. that's one of it, you know. And another version says, you know, that basically every time Muhammad will come up with a verse that will cancel a command that came before it, the pagan Arabs will accuse him that you're just a forger, you know, you're just a false prophet. So, uh, and basically Muhammad also uh, was being caught ev uh, every now and then forgetting certain things that he has revealed. So, in order, of course, to uh, uh, rescue himself, apparently his God jumped to the re rescue <laughs> by sending this verse to him, telling him that it's okay, it is God who causes people to forget certain verses. Now, does this sound really odd to you that the prophet of Islam, who supposedly the role model, the standard for all Muslims to follow, and he should be the one who should retain it in his own memory as a perfect person? Right. We have a problem here. I mean, the master record doesn't seem to work well. Bill, we have a huge problem here. <laughs> right. If the person who revealed the Quran to me is forgetting some of it, how do I know now that what I have in my hand today is actually the full Quran? Now, just... And it gets worse later. This, do we have the whole Quran when we come to the compilation? Exactly. But just to avoid anyone of accusing us that we're just making up story about this verse, let's go to the next slide. Here we have Aisha who is one of Muhammad's favorite wives. She is the young girl whom Muhammad proposed to when she was six years old, and he married her when she was nine years old, and he was in his 50s at that time. Right. She is the second wife, basically, that he married, the only virgin wife, basically, that Muhammad married. This wife said this. She said a man got up to pray in the morning, and that was in the early morning, basically, at dawn, and he read the Quran and raised his voice in reading, which is chanting it, and that's right. common, basically. Mm -hmm. In certain prayers, you can chant loudly, and others, you have to read it silently. And when the morning came, the apostle of Allah, meaning Muhammad, said, may Allah have mercy on so-and-so, like he is blessing him, basically. Mm -hmm. Last night, he reminded me uh, a number of verses I was about to forget. <laughs> what do you say about this, Bill? Well, here we have the perfect man, the perfect Muslim, the perfect Arab with the perfect memory. So we're told, admitting that he's forgetting things. I mean, actually, Muhammad reminds me of myself, and I'm not perfect. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very honest, at least, assessment. We're all not perfect. We're exactly. all human. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not so sure if I can remember what I had for dinner last <laughs> night. Nevertheless, to remember an entire book that is so crucial, basically, to be preserved. Now, if, let's say, historically we're told, you know, the Quran was written, this is our best and perfect understanding of what was revealed, I'm okay with that. But to That's always label it as a perfect, preserved, nothing is missing, this is troubling challenge, basically, that commands you to go and critique what you are hearing. Well, if it's absolutely and completely perfect, if we can find any one thing that is imperfect, then it's not perfect. So, I mean, they put forth a hypothesis, which is simply they can't support. We're told also that right after the death of the prophet in the year 632, and it was a sudden death, by the way. He, yes. He fell ill, and uh, there's a story uh, that tells us that uh, possibly uh, an effect of a poison, uh, basically, that uh, was uh, his food was poisoned by one of uh, uh, the ladies of a Jewish tribe because he basically uh, annihilated all of her family. Mm -hmm. So nevertheless, he fell ill. He died in the year 632 A.D. Right after his death, there was what we call the apostate war. A lot mm -hmm. of people left Islam, and the governor who came after Muhammad was Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr. Muhammad's closest friend. He is the first righteous uh, uh, or guided caliph, we call him. Mm -hmm. He's the father of Aisha, as yes. a matter of fact. He only served uh, in office, if I want to use this terminology, for two Jeez. years and died after that. But during these two years, he was adamant about fighting those apostates and forcing them to come back to Islam. Now, the story goes that he feared him and Omar, who is his successor. They feared that some of the people who memorized the Quran might die. Now, when we do an investigation, we mentioned this in our book, The Quran Dilemma, we find that only two of the scribes that were well known to memorize the Quran have died in these battles. So we're not talking about a huge number. So it's obviously that there is a psychological reason that both Omar and Abu Bakr realized that, you know, the Quran cannot be preserved much longer in memory. It's been already preserved in memory for over 23 years now. So they went ahead and they formed a committee and asked one of Muhammad's scribe basically to begin collection of verses. Now, let's assume indeed that the Quran was preserved and the Prophet has a copy of it. Why would you have to form a committee to go and seek everyone instead of going to a specific individual and say please give me that copy but there's another part to the story not only were they afraid that the reciters as they call them would be killed we already know there's stories about there are arguments there are variations within the text that, that is true however this argument actually began to escalate at a later time so uh, the danger behind that argument will appear in the second recension of the Quran. And yes, ah. I said it correctly. There was a first recension, which we will be addressing immediately after we take our short break. Pressure slowly building. An explosion that shocked the world. A coastline forever changed. The oil impossible to remove. Nothing could destroy it until the source was found until that source was sealed. To uncover the source of Islamic terror, read the Quran Dilemma, Islam Unplugged. Hi, I'd like to welcome you back to our show, The Islamic uh, Dilemma. 
Uh, in the first half of this show, we were discussing the collection of the Quran and the beginning of that process. And Bill, you were saying that uh, basically there was some psychology involved here in terms of why the Quran uh, uh, or the need actually uh, rose to put it together, one of which was the fear to lose it from memory. Right. And that's basically uh, uh, what the research will show also, that that was one of the primary reasons why Omar and Abu Bakr basically put together this committee. Now, my argument was, if we have a copy of the Quran that Muhammad kept, because some will argue that he had a copy of it in his home, in a closet, then why didn't they go straight to that one? Wouldn't that be the perfect copy to just make other copies of? One would think. What we, they did, actually, is they appointed a person who then called upon everyone, notice everyone, not mm -hmm. going to a specific individuals, and says, if you have basically uh, any parts of the Quran, whether preserved in memory or a written form, bring it to us so we can put this Quran together. And that's what we call the first recension. After that process was done, basically, uh, they ended up with one copy, one manuscript, uh, I should say one codex, and they gave it to one of the wives of the prophet. Her name is Hafsa, mm -hmm. who happens to be, by the way, the daughter of Omar. Right. And that copy stayed with her. And you did allude to another problem. And uh, the, the problem that Bill was talking about is there was some tension between different Muslims in terms of the different dialects in reading the Quran. And if you recall, we talked about uh, the fact that Muhammad claimed that the Quran was revealed to him in seven different letters right. or dialects, if you wish, and that it is okay to read it in uh, whichever easier for you. What happened actually is Abu Bakr died, then came Omar, then Omar died, then came a third governor, his name is Uthman, and Uthman by that time was already expanding the territory of the Islamic nation into the southern parts of Iraq all the way to Syria and so on and so forth. His military leaders, one of which at least was in that area, sent him an alarming message stating that some of my troops actually are having tension with each other because a group of them reads the Quran one way and another group reads the Quran in another way. You like to elaborate at least uh, on this particular problem. Well, of course, one of the things they said was is that they were aware that the Christian text had variations. And if, if, if Islam was to be the totally superior in every way, then this variation had to be done away with. And it's important here, it had to be done away with. But there was a recognition that there are different variations here. Well, the variations, of course, that you're talking about in the Greek text or the manuscripts of the New Testament, uh, actually, we have thousands of those that when we put them together, we come close to about 98% of what they all agreed on, and therefore, we know what the Bible is teaching. Yet, the copyists of the Bible were honest enough, and mm -hmm. I say that all the time, that they would put a footnote to point out something to you. However, there isn't any doctrinal issue to be concerned about. The doctrine of Christianity is still the same. The right. belief is still the same. At least... If we would do the same thing in the Quran, we put an, uh, an asterisk or put a, like a footnote and say, well, in, in some of the manuscripts of the Quran, this particular word is read this way or is missing. Yet again, I can live with that. Yes. But when you keep claiming to me that perfect. it's a perfect and preserved book, and it's preserved in heaven, 
I go back to the same question. Why didn't God reveal this preserved book in heaven all at once? Mm -hmm. We and, you know, you and I will be saving ourselves this trouble of discussing something like this. There's also the thing of, there's, there's something that doesn't line up right. If the Quran was so important, and Muhammad consistently said it was important, then why didn't he do all of this work? Why didn't he get it ready in its perfect final form? There's something sort of missing here. It was almost to me like that Muhammad did not want to face the mess. That's my, what I think. Well, that's, there is truth to that, but also we must remind our re, uh, uh, listeners that Remember, there is the doctrine of abrogation. Every time Muhammad is faced with a dilemma, he will come up with a verse to solve that problem. So for Muhammad to close the canon in his yeah. lifetime, he would have put himself in a trouble, troubling situation because he is now forced to live with whatever he said. But when he leaves the door wide open for the abrogation to take place in a fluid manner, then he knew that, you know, I can still do it up until the last second of my life. Well, he didn't want to balance the books. He did not know, he didn't want the final total, is what my take on it was. I think that he realized, well, he's already said, I forgot this. I think it was a mess he didn't want to clean up. I think it was like a storage closet that you know stuff's in there, you need to put it all in order, but you're like, I don't want to deal with that. Well, you know, Bill, I, I want to also add something. Um, we hear of certain punishment in Islam, one of which is stoning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's so interesting is when you go to the Quran, there isn't a single verse that talks about stoning uh, adulterers. Correct. We know that Muhammad basically copied this very law of retaliation, basically, from the Jewish law and from the Torah. Exactly. Omar always complained that he did hear this verse from the Prophet. In fact, it talks about an older man and older woman to be stoned. Right. Yet, we do not find a record of it. And when we dig into the reason why that record is not find, uh, found in the Quran, we hear and we read actually that Muhammad was, I mean, Omar was asked to bring two witnesses, and he did not have enough right. witnesses to prove to the committee that he did hear this verse from Muhammad. So we know of one verse that is missing. And he complained about that for a long time, by Absolutely, the way. Absolutely, because it's his reputation that mm -hmm. is being now challenged. It's his character. In fact, Aisha, the very wife that we just mentioned right now, one of Muhammad's favorite wives, and she is the young wife that he married when she was nine years old, she also made reference a couple of times to a chapter that was longer than 200 verses and all of a sudden it shrunk into almost 70. She also made reference to that one time she had like a written copy of the Quran that the goat outside in the backyard <laughs> ate it. Yes. It's almost like my dog ate my homework kind of an excuse. <laughs> exactly. My dog ate my homework, yes. So that's basically what we're faced with. And, and by the way, people need to know that Aisha was more than the wife of Muhammad, the favorite wife. She was also the greatest source of Hadith traditions. That is very true. Uh, so she true. is, this is not a minor character when Aisha says this. She is a major player. In fact, when Muhammad died, she was 18 years of age. Of course, Muhammad uh, demanded that none of his wives will remarry yeah, after remarry. him. And of course, she lived the rest of her life. And certainly she contributed a lot to the Sunnah and to the Hadith traditions of Muhammad. Now, um, I want to move now from the first recension to the second recension when Uthman, basically the third uh, uh, caliph, or we call him the governor, 
about almost now we have 15 to 20 years after the death of the prophet. So technically speaking, the Quran has been now preserved both in written form and in memory about 45 years or so. Uthman, to his surprise, discovered that there is so many other codices. He formed another committee headed by the same individual yes. that Abu Bakr used. This time the committee was expanded, added more members to it. And they were now tasked to go ahead and collect the Quran one more time in writing. They did bring that original copy, if you wish, we're going to call it the standard copy that Hafsa mm -hmm. had with her, the very first one that was collected. But yet they didn't use that straightforward. They still went and collected the Quran one more time, which tells me that they were convinced there is something that was still missing or possibly missing. What do you say about that? Well, this is odd because we're vacuuming up stuff everywhere. We know there's variation in it. And yet we're going to wind up with a product which has no variation and is declared perfect, the perfect thoughts of Allah. This doesn't match up. And who collected it? And who made it perfect? It's just a mere human being called Uthman. Mm -hmm. He decided, after the committee basically was put in together, he gave an order that, when in doubt about the dialect, use the Quraysh dialect, meaning the dialect of the Prophet, which I told you the other day that it's actually no longer is being used. It's just vanished. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this particular dialect, no one even speaks it anymore. So now we're deciding on a specific dialect, but I thought the Prophet says that it was revealed in seven, seven. different ones. So who authorized Uthman to, to decide on which divine dialect to be used? Second of all, if the Quran, and this is my challenge to my listener and to my brothers and sisters in humanity who are Muslim people, to listen to this with an open mind and truly search with a, an open heart. If the Quran is preserved in heaven, then which Quran do we have today? The one that the God of Islam allowed to be revealed in seven different dialects, or the one that Uthman, a mere human, decided that this is the dialect to be used? That's something that we have to ponder. Because if the Prophet of Islam himself did not authorize which one should be preserved... And this is important. Exactly. The Quran we buy in the bookstore was not authorized by Muhammad. There is no imprintur. And that is exactly true. And here is the other problem with the collection of the Quran, the second recension or the second collection by Uthman. After Uthman collected it and believed that this is now the standard version to be used, do you know what happened to the other codices that he discovered that are different? Oh, yes. They went up in flames. That's exactly true, Bill, that they were burned. Just about maybe... Two weeks ago, we've heard of this turmoil in Afghanistan right. about the uh, riot against the burning of a copy of the Quran in Florida. Now, if the Quran being burned causes such a problem for our Muslim friends, and we are not condoning burning the Quran or any book for that matter, then why don't we hear of any reaction to what Uthman have done? In fact, the research will show that we have done in our book, The Quran Dilemma, that no one ever fussed up with Uthman about the fact that he burned other copies that Which is could have been the right ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did he burn the right ones or the wrong ones? I mean, that's... And the, the story just doesn't hang together to wind up with something perfect. And as you say, and, and by the way, 
if the Muslims riot over the burning of Quran, my reaction is scholars should riot over Uthman's burning because what he did was he destroyed all the source material, the prime text. They're gone. We don't exactly. have it. It's like when Enron destroyed all the records. Well, that was a corporate crime. And truly, burning these variant copies was a crime against humanity. And it destroyed the original record. Exactly, because what if uh, there was a command in one of those burned copies that will benefit a Muslim person today? We Something that know. will help him in earning more good deeds. We never know. How would we know? Exactly. But now we do know Aisha said there was stuff that wasn't, there were verses that were not put in. So we know what you say is true. And Bill, and I tell my viewers, everything we're talking about, whether it's mentioned in our book, The Quran Dilemma, or even in the study that Bill has done. And by the way, Bill, why don't you introduce your website so the viewers can go to it and learn more? I have a website called, uh, of course, www, but it's politicalislam.com. And you'll discover that I also have a Quran, which is very different from the Quran dilemma. But the two complement each other. But, uh, exactly. So I want to tell my viewers that there are resources available for them to go and investigate everything oh, we the are The history you're stating. talking about, uh, Al is not making this up. Uh, this material is well known to scholars. These may be new to you, but nothing that's been said here is a secret. Exactly. And, and our point, actually, is to help you uh, hear it at least in, in the English language because we realize most of the scholarly work that we're referring to actually is done in Arabic. So our goal is to try to help you at least hear what these resources has. But we still encourage you to try to go and investigate it on your own. Now, we are troubled because Uthman basically burned all of the other codices and kept one that we can call the Uthmanic revised version. And I emphasize it's revised because Uthman decided certain things. Now, remember the original copy that was done? Hafsa's. Hafsa's. Mm -hmm. You know what happened to that? After Hafsa's death, actually, there was a, one of the Umayyad's caliph, uh, caliphate or governors. Mm -hmm. He asked her brother, Abdullah, to bring him that copy. And without even comparing that it. copy to the Uthmanic one, he burned it. He burned it. And it says he burned it out of fear that it may contradict the copy that Uthman put together. Mm -hmm. Another to me, crime. An this intellectual is crime. Troubling. Well, it's because criminal. we have basically a number of historical records that could have helped not just us as scholars mm -hmm. or other scholars, but it could have helped a Muslim individual mm -hmm. to learn what exactly did God want for me to do? Mm -hmm. And that's the dilemma, basically, that we would like to raise, and we would ask and challenge our Muslim viewers to go and investigate and offer, offer us not just an answer, but offer themselves also an answer. Is this the perfect Quran, the perfect book that we're trying to follow? I can tell you from my own story, it is not that perfect at all. It is not the book that I assumed, uh, assumed it to be. It is not the record that I myself was hoping that it will be the guide for my life, that it will lead me to paradise. Unfortunately, it wasn't leading me anywhere. And, uh, you know, Bill, as always, um, uh, these are very interesting topics. We are approaching, unfortunately, the end of our show. Uh, however, uh, I promise my viewers that we will continue with our critique and analysis in a scholarly way uh, of the Quran 
and the many teachings that are found in it, especially things that relate to issues of radical Islam, jihad, and Sharia law. Once again, uh, I would like to thank all of my viewers for uh, watching us uh, uh, on this uh, new show, The Islamic Dilemma. And I encourage you, as usual, to go to the website that is shown on the screen right now and send us your emails and also send your questions, suggestions, or comments. Until then, we are hopeful that you have enjoyed uh, the discussion that we had and also uh, hopefully you will find it uh, informative and educational. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Al Fadi. Mega blessings to you. I always do because I want to go to the front. Oh, <laughs>